Book Two, Part One of Eusebius Church History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea. Book Two, Part One Introduction through Chapter Nine. Book Two introduction we have discussed in the preceding book those subjects in ecclesiastical history which it was necessary to treat by way of introduction and have accompanied them with brief proofs such were the divinity of the saving word and the antiquity of the doctrines which we teach as well as of that evangelical life which is led by christians together with the events which have taken place in connection with christ's recent appearance and in connection with his passion and with the choice of the apostles. In the present book, let us examine the events which took place after his ascension, confirming some of them from the divine scriptures, and others from such writings as we shall refer to from time to time. Chapter 1. The Course Pursued by the Apostles After the Ascension of Christ First, then, in the place of Judas the Betrayer, Matthias, who, as has been shown, was also one of the seventy, was chosen to the apostolate, and there were appointed to the diaconate, for the service of the congregation, by prayer and the laying on of the hands of the apostles, approved men, seven in number, of whom Stephen was one. He first, after the Lord, was stoned to death at the time of his ordination by the slayers of the Lord, as if he had been promoted for this very purpose and thus he was the first to receive the crown, corresponding to his name, which belongs to the martyrs of Christ, who are worthy of the meed of victory. Then James, whom the ancients surnamed the Just, on account of the excellence of his virtue, is recorded to have been the first to be made bishop of the Church of Jerusalem. This James was called the brother of the Lord because he was known as a son of Joseph, and Joseph was supposed to be the father of Christ, because the virgin, being betrothed to him, was found with child by the Holy Ghost before they came together, as the account of the Holy Gospels shows. But Clement, in the sixth book of his Hypotyposes, writes thus, For they say that Peter and James and John, after the ascension of our Saviour, as if also preferred by our Lord, strove not after honour, but chose James the just bishop of Jerusalem. But the same writer, in the seventh book of the same work, relates also the following things concerning him. The Lord after his resurrection imparted knowledge to James the Just and to John and Peter, and they imparted it to the rest of the apostles, and the rest of the apostles to the seventy, of whom Barnabas was one. But there were two Jameses, one called the Just, who was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and was beaten to death with a club by a fuller, and another who was beheaded. Paul also makes mention of the same James the Just, where he writes, Other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. At that time also the promise of our Saviour to the king of the Osroenians was fulfilled. For Thomas, under a divine impulse, sent Thaddeus to Edessa as a preacher and evangelist of the religion of Christ, as we have shown a little above from the document found there. 
When he came to that place he healed Abgarus by the word of Christ, and after bringing all the people there into the right attitude of mind by means of his works, and leading them to adore the power of Christ, he made them disciples of the Saviour's teaching. And from that time down to the present the whole city of the Edessenes has been devoted to the name of Christ, offering no common proof of the beneficence of our Saviour toward them also. These things have been drawn from ancient accounts, but let us now turn again to the divine scripture. When the first and greatest persecution was instigated by the Jews against the church of Jerusalem in connection with the martyrdom of Stephen, and when all the disciples except the twelve were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, some, as the divine scripture says, went as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, but could not yet venture to impart the word of faith to the nations, and therefore preached it to the Jews alone. During this time Paul was still persecuting the church, and entering the houses of believers was dragging men and women away and committing them to prison. Philip also, one of those who with Stephen had been entrusted with the diaconate, being among those who were scattered abroad, went down to Samaria, and being filled with the divine power, he first preached the word to the inhabitants of that country. And divine grace worked so mightily with him that even Simon Magus, with many others, was attracted by his words. Simon was at that time so celebrated, and had acquired by his jugglery such influence over those who were deceived by him, that he was thought to be the great power of God. But at this time, being amazed at the wonderful deeds wrought by Philip through the divine power, he feigned and counterfeited faith in Christ, even going so far as to receive baptism. And what is surprising, the same thing is done even to this day by those who follow his most impure heresy. For they, after the manner of their forefather, slipping into the church, like a pestilential and leprous disease, greatly afflict those into whom they are able to infuse the deadly and terrible poison concealed in themselves. The most of these have been expelled as soon as they have been caught in their wickedness, as Simon himself, when detected by Peter, received the merited punishment. But as the preaching of the Saviour's gospel was daily advancing, a certain providence led from the land of the Ethiopians an officer of the queen of that country, for Ethiopia even to the present day is ruled, according to ancestral custom, by a woman. He, first among the Gentiles, received of the mysteries of the divine word from Philip in consequence of a revelation, and having become the first fruits of believers throughout the world, he is said to have been the first on returning to his country to proclaim the knowledge of the God of the universe and the life-giving sojourn of our Saviour among men, so that through him in truth the prophecy obtained its fulfillment, which declares that Ethiopia stretcheth out her hand unto God. In addition to these, Paul, that chosen vessel, not of men, neither through men, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ himself and of God the Father who raised him from the dead, was appointed an apostle, being made worthy of the call by a vision and by a voice which was uttered in a revelation from heaven. Chapter 2. How Tiberius was affected when informed by Pilate concerning Christ. And when the wonderful resurrection and ascension of our Saviour were already noised abroad, 
in accordance with an ancient custom which prevailed among the rulers of the provinces of reporting to the emperor the novel occurrences which took place in them in order that nothing might escape him pontius pilate informed tiberius of the reports which were noised abroad through all palestine concerning the resurrection of our saviour jesus from the dead he gave an account also of other wonders which he had learned of him and how after his death having risen from the dead he was now believed by many to be a god they say that tiberius referred the matter to the senate but that they rejected it ostensibly because they had not first examined into the matter for an ancient law prevailed that no one should be made a god by the romans except by a vote and decree of the senate but in reality because the saving teaching of the divine gospel did not need the confirmation and recommendation of men but although the senate of the romans rejected the proposition made in regard to our saviour tiberius still retained the opinion which he had held at first and contrived no hostile measures against christ these things are recorded by tertullian a man well versed in the laws of the romans and in other respects of high repute and one of those especially distinguished in rome in his apology for the christians which was written by him in the latin language and has been translated into greek he writes as follows but in order that we may give an account of these laws from their origin it was an ancient decree that no one should be consecrated a god by the emperor until the senate had expressed its approval marcus aurelius did this concerning a certain idol alburnus and this is a point in favor of our doctrine that among you divine dignity is conferred by human decree if a god does not please a man he is not made a god thus according to this custom it is necessary for man to be gracious to god tiberius therefore under whom the name of christ made its entry into the world when this doctrine was reported to him from palestine where it first began communicated with the senate making it clear to them that he was pleased with the doctrine but the senate since it had not itself proved the matter rejected it but tiberius continued to hold his own opinion and threatened death to the accusers of the christians heavenly providence had wisely instilled this into his mind in order that the doctrine of the gospel unhindered at its beginning might spread in all directions throughout the world chapter three the doctrine of christ soon spread throughout all the world thus under the influence of heavenly power and with the divine cooperation the doctrine of the saviour like the rays of the sun quickly illumined the whole world and straightway in accordance with the divine scriptures the voice of the inspired evangelists and apostles went forth through all the earth and their words to the end of the world in every city and village churches were quickly established filled with multitudes of people like a replenished threshing floor and those whose minds in consequence of errors which had descended to them from their forefathers were fettered by the ancient disease of idolatrous superstition were by the power of christ operating through the teaching and the wonderful works of his disciples set free as it were from terrible masters and found a release from the most cruel bondage they renounced with abhorrence every species of demoniacal polytheism and confessed that there was only one god the creator of all things and him they honored with the rites of true piety through the inspired and rational worship which has been planted by our saviour among men 
But the divine grace being now poured out upon the rest of the nations, Cornelius of Caesarea in Palestine, with his whole house, through a divine revelation and the agency of Peter, first received faith in Christ, and after him a multitude of other Greeks in Antioch, to whom those who were scattered by the persecution of Stephen had preached the gospel. When the church of Antioch was now increasing and abounding, and a multitude of prophets from Jerusalem were on the ground, among them Barnabas and Paul, and in addition many other brethren, the name of Christians first sprang up there, as from a fresh and life-giving fountain. And Agabus, one of the prophets who was with them, uttered a prophecy concerning the famine which was about to take place, and Paul and Barnabas were sent to relieve the necessities of the brethren. Chapter 4. After the death of Tiberius, Caius appointed Agrippa king of the Jews, having punished Herod with perpetual exile. Tiberius died, after having reigned about twenty-two years, and Caius succeeded him in the empire. He immediately gave the government of the Jews to Agrippa, making him king over the tetrarchies of Philip and of Lysanias, in addition to which he bestowed upon him, not long afterward, the tetrarchy of Herod, having punished Herod, the one under whom the Saviour suffered, and his wife Herodias, with perpetual exile on account of numerous crimes. Josephus is a witness to these facts. Under this emperor, Philo became known, a man most celebrated not only among many of our own, but also among many scholars without the church. He was a Hebrew by birth, but was inferior to none of those who held high dignities in Alexandria. How exceedingly he labored in the scriptures and in the studies of his nation is plain to all from the work which he has done. How familiar he was with philosophy and with the liberal studies of foreign nations, it is not necessary to say, since he is reported to have surpassed all his contemporaries in the study of Platonic and Pythagorean philosophy, to which he particularly devoted his attention. Chapter 5. Philo's Embassy to Caius in Behalf of the Jews Philo has given us an account, in five books, of the misfortunes of the Jews under Caius. He recounts at the same time the madness of Caius, how he called himself a god, and performed as emperor innumerable acts of tyranny, and he describes further the miseries of the Jews under him, and gives a report of the embassy upon which he himself was sent to Rome in behalf of his fellow countrymen in Alexandria how when he appeared before Caius in behalf of the laws of his fathers, he received nothing but laughter and ridicule, and almost incurred the risk of his life. Josephus also makes mention of these things in the eighteenth book of his Antiquities, in the following words, A sedition having arisen in Alexandria between the Jews that dwell there and the Greeks, three deputies were chosen from each faction and went to Caius. One of the Alexandrian deputies was Appion, who uttered many slanders against the Jews, among other things saying that they neglected the honors due to Caesar. For while all other subjects of Rome erected altars and temples to Caius, and in all other respects treated him just as they did the gods, they alone considered it disgraceful to honor him with statues and to swear by his name. And when Appion had uttered many severe charges by which he hoped that Caius would be aroused, as indeed was likely, 
Philo, the chief of the Jewish embassy, a man celebrated in every respect, a brother of Alexander the Alabarch, and not unskilled in philosophy, was prepared to enter upon a defense in reply to his accusations. But Caius prevented him and ordered him to leave, and being very angry, it was plain that he meditated some severe measure against them. And Philo departed, covered with insult, and told the Jews that were with him to be of good courage, for while Caius was raging against them, he was in fact already contending with God. Thus far Josephus, and Philo himself, in the work On the Embassy, which he wrote, describes accurately and in detail the things which were done by him at that time. But I shall omit the most of them, and record only those things which will make clearly evident to the reader that the misfortunes of the Jews came upon them not long after their daring deeds against Christ and on account of the same. And in the first place he relates that at Rome in the reign of Tiberius, Sejanus, who at that time enjoyed great influence with the emperor, made every effort to destroy the Jewish nation utterly, and that in Judea, Pilate, under whom the crimes against the Savior were committed, attempted something contrary to the Jewish law in respect to the temple, which was at that time still standing in Jerusalem, and excited them to the greatest tumults. Chapter 6 The Misfortunes Which Overwhelmed the Jews After Their Presumption Against Christ after the death of Tiberius, Caius received the empire, and besides innumerable other acts of tyranny against many people, he greatly afflicted, especially the whole nation of the Jews. These things we may learn briefly from the words of Philo, who writes as follows. So great was the caprice of Caius in his conduct toward all, and especially toward the nation of the Jews. The latter he so bitterly hated that he appropriated to himself their places of worship in the other cities, and beginning with Alexandria he filled them with images and statues of himself, for in permitting others to erect them he really erected them himself. The temple in the holy city, which had hitherto been left untouched, and had been regarded as an inviolable asylum, he altered and transformed into a temple of his own, that it might be called the temple of the visible Jupiter, the younger Caius. Innumerable other terrible and almost indescribable calamities which came upon the Jews in Alexandria during the reign of the same emperor are recorded by the same author in a second work to which he gave the title On the Virtues. With him agrees also Josephus, who likewise indicates that the misfortunes of the whole nation began with the time of Pilate and with their daring crimes against the Savior. Hear what he says in the second book of his Jewish War, where he writes as follows, Pilate being sent to Judea as procurator by Tiberius, secretly carried veiled images of the emperor, called incense, to Jerusalem by night. The following day this caused the greatest disturbance among the Jews, for those who were near were confounded at the sight, beholding their laws, as it were, trampled underfoot, for they allow no image to be set up in their city. Comparing these things with the writings of the evangelists, you will see that it was not long before there came upon them the penalty for the exclamation which they had uttered under the same Pilate, when they cried out that they had no other king than Caesar. The same writer further records that after this another calamity overtook them. He writes as follows. 
After this he stirred up another tumult by making use of the holy treasure, which is called Corban, in the construction of an aqueduct three hundred stadia in length. The multitude were greatly displeased at it, and when Pilate was in Jerusalem they surrounded his tribunal and gave utterance to loud complaints. But he, anticipating the tumult, had distributed through the crowd armed soldiers disguised in citizens' clothing, forbidding them to use the sword, but commanding them to strike with clubs those who should make an outcry. To them he now gave the preconcerted signal from the tribunal, and the Jews being beaten, many of them perished in consequence of the blows, while many others were trampled underfoot by their own countrymen in their flight, and thus lost their lives. But the multitude, overawed by the fate of those who were slain, held their peace. In addition to these, the same author records many other tumults which were stirred up in Jerusalem itself, and shows that from that time seditions and wars and mischievous plots followed each other in quick succession, and never ceased in the city and in all Judea, until finally the siege of Vespasian overwhelmed them. Thus the divine vengeance overtook the Jews for the crimes which they dared to commit against Christ. Chapter 7 Pilate's Suicide It is worthy of note that Pilate himself, who was governor in the time of our Saviour, is reported to have fallen into such misfortunes under Caius, whose times we are recording, that he was forced to become his own murderer and executioner, and thus divine vengeance, as it seems, was not long in overtaking him. This is stated by those Greek historians who have recorded the Olympiads, together with the respective events which have taken place in each period. Chapter 8 the famine which took place in the reign of Claudius. Caius had held the power not quite four years when he was succeeded by the emperor Claudius. Under him the world was visited with a famine, which writers that are entire strangers to our religion have recorded in their histories. And thus the prediction of Agabus recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, according to which the whole world was to be visited by a famine, received its fulfillment. And Luke, in the Acts, after mentioning the famine in the time of Claudius, and stating that the brethren of Antioch, each according to his ability, sent to the brethren of Judea by the hands of Paul and Barnabas, adds the following account. Chapter 9. The Martyrdom of James the Apostle Now about that time, it is clear that he means the time of Claudius, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And concerning this James, Clement, in the seventh book of his Hypotyposes, relates a story which is worthy of mention, telling it as he received it from those who had lived before him. He says that the one who led James to the judgment seat, when he saw him bearing his testimony, was moved, and confessed that he was himself also a Christian. They were both, therefore, he says, led away together, and on the way he begged James to forgive him. And he, after considering a little, said, Peace be with thee, and kissed him. And thus they were both beheaded at the same time. And then, as the divine scripture says, Herod, upon the death of James, seeing that the deed pleased the Jews, attacked Peter also and committed him to prison, 
and would have slain him if he had not, by the divine appearance of an angel who came to him by night, been wonderfully released from his bonds, and thus liberated for the service of the gospel. Such was the providence of God in respect to Peter. End of Book 2, Part 1